Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Well, good morning. Whoa, a little booming there. Well, if you've got a Bible, uh, whoa, I think they had that adjusted for Britt's voice last week. Apparently, I'm louder than she is. Um, If you have a Bible with you and you want to kind of get a head start, we're going to be in Luke 15, we're going to be in Matthew 4, and we're going to be in John 8, those three passages primarily. So if you you're one of those Bible quiz champions and you just love to always race ahead, I'm giving you a head start so you know where we're going. Uh, a few years back, I got the chance, uh, actually Britt and I uh, did together, to visit the uh, British Museum in London. And if you ever get to go there, you should, if you're in London, you should put that on your list of places to stop and see because it is a treasure trove. Um, One thing you'll notice, it seems like half of the antiquity from Egypt is in London. That's a separate story and a long story, but there is a lot there to see. And at the center of it is something called the Rosetta Stone. And if you go to the British Library in London, you've got to see the Rosetta Stone. It's almost become its own kind of meme or cliche or story. Everybody's heard of the Rosetta Stone, found in about 1880. It's a, it's a, a slab uh, that has engraved on it uh, what turns out to be an ancient decree from 100 to 200 years before uh, the birth of Christ. But famously, this ancient decree is written in three different languages. It's written in two forms of Egyptian hieroglyphics and in Greek. And so it turned out that this ancient decree written in Greek, which everyone could understand, was something of a a key. One language we understood revealed the languages we didn't understand. Because for the most part, ancient hieroglyphics had been a language that was lost to us from Somewhere around 400 AD, we had just lost the ability across the world to decipher what these hieroglyphics were that were written everywhere across ancient Egypt until this stone was found with one decree written in three languages, including Greek, which we knew, which unlocked the others. Parables, especially maybe the parable of the prodigal son, are something of a Rosetta Stone for the soul. They're a a language, a story that we can understand. We hear the story and we understand what's happening. We even get the significance of it, but they do something that's more. The the story we understand helps us to understand the hidden story we may be missing, the language of the soul, the struggle, what in this series I want to call the hidden me. 
Parables are like that Rosetta Stone. They're a story that we, we get, we understand, we see it, and we, we see maybe the injustice in it or the brokenness in it or the hopefulness in it. And then in that story, it reveals something of the hidden me. And the reason that's so important is that it's the hidden you. And the hidden me that sabotages everything we're hoping for. It's that hidden struggle. It's that inner turmoil. It's that part of us that just time and time and time again sabotages what we want and what God wants for us. And the parable of the prodigal, at least for me, more than any other, unwraps that. It's a story that lets me look inside and see a little bit of the hidden me. So for the next, this week and three more weeks, we're going to unpack this story piece by piece. But, but today sits as something of a foundation for the next three weeks. The story, if you're unfamiliar with it, is the story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15 of a dad. And in the story, the dad is a picture of our Father in heaven. It's a picture of God. And it's a picture, it's a story of a dad and two sons. And the two sons are us, not just the one son, both sons. And we're going to get to both of them in this series. And famously, the story turns on this point. The, the younger son, the impetuous son, comes to his dad and he said, I'm ready. Give me my inheritance. I'm out. I'm done. I want what I got coming to me. This was no small feat. In most cases, in order to give the final inheritance to a son, you would have to sell off a a portion of the estate. It doesn't tell us exactly how that all plays out. It just tells us that the father agrees. And he gives the son his inheritance, his half of the kingdom, his portion. Here you go. And as you might imagine, things go badly. When you're young and impetuous and you get your way, it doesn't always end up where you think. And so the son gets his inheritance and he goes off and he, he does everything he wants to do and he has a grand old time until, of course, he doesn't and things start to fall apart and his money starts to run out and his friends start to flee. And then finally we find this, this son who had everything broken. In fact, he's so broken that in the story, he's, he's working for a farmer and he's in a pig pen, the most vile of places that a young Jewish man could find himself, in the pen of an unclean animal, and he's feeding the swine, and it says that, that he's so hungry that he would have eaten what he was giving to the pigs. 
Let me read to you this piece here. In Luke 15, in verse 17, he says, when he finally came to his senses. I'm picking up kind of midway through the story. He's gotten his money. He's wasted his money. Everything has turned south, and he's in the pig pen. And it says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I, I, I'm, I'm going to go home and to my father, and I'm going to say, Father, I've, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Ah, so many places we could go with this. But here's where I want to begin. At his heart, the son is living out a lie. He's living out a lie. In fact, the first lie is a lie that most of us have listened to one time or another. It's the lie that says, I would be better off if. I don't know how that, that lie started in the son's life. Maybe he was off one day, hanging out with his friends, doing the stuff they wanted to do, and his father called him back to work. And maybe a friend whispered, oh, your dad's so strict. And this story started to play out in his head. I would be better off if. Maybe he was hanging out with his friends and telling the story of how tough it was, and they were repeating it. You would be better off if. Here's all we know, this this, this, this lie, this story festers in him and it grows until it becomes the loudest voice in his life. I would be better off if I just didn't have to live here. I would be better off without my father's authority. I would be better off without these rules. I would be better off if I just had my money. And so finally, one day, the, the lie took on a life all of its own. And he went to his father. And he does the unthinkable. Give me my inheritance now. I don't want to wait for you to die. I'm ready to go. But it's not the only lie. In fact, there's a, there's a second lie, and it's right in the passage we just read. His money's gone, his friends are gone, and he finds himself in the pig pen. And it says this, it says, and he came, he came to his senses. <laughs> Sometimes it's the pig pen that brings you to your senses, right? And he's sitting there, and he smells it, and things don't look like he thought they would 
look, back when he was telling himself the lie, things would be better off. And, and what does he say? He says, I'm gonna, uh, uh, the, the, the servants at my father's house have more to eat than I have to eat. I'm getting up and I'm going home. I'm going home. And, and I'm going to tell my dad I'm sorry. I'm going I'm to fall on his mercy. And then he says this, and it's a, it's a lie. I'll tell my father I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Don't miss that in the story because it's a lie. By the time you're done reading the story, you'll know it's a lie because the father thought it was a lie because the father knew that you're a son and you can never undo the fact that you're a son. You weren't worthy to be a son. You were born a son. But in this moment, all he can think of because the most effective lies come with a little bit of truth. You screwed up. You lost everything. You're an embarrassment. You are not worthy. Oh, that's a lie. That's a lie. The father would solve that lie, but in this moment, that lie has, that lie has festered in him, and, and he thinks the only thing he'll ever be worthy of is to be a servant. You, you see, this is, this is what happens. These, these lies take, take root in our lives. I, I'd be better off if. My life would be better if I just had this, or I just had that, or I just got rid of that, or I got rid of them. Maybe the lie that's wound its coils around your heart is the lie of, I'm not worthy. I'll never deserve that. I've done this, and I've done this. and Oh, that's true. You did that, and you did that. But that's not what makes you worthy to be a son. You see how lies work? See how they wind their way deep into our heart and we, 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 start, to, we start to believe them and then we, we live them out. So I have a question for you. It's not going where you think it's going. Who's lying to you? Who's lying to you? I'll tell you what Jesus thought. Jesus thought that there was a liar in the world. Jesus thought that evil had a face and a name. And his name was the devil. <laughs> Y'all getting nervous, aren't you? Like devil talk. I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. The devil's not, he's not in fashion. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't talk much about the devil. The, the John Mark Comer in his recent book, and it's a good book, it's called um, Live No Lies. He, he makes the point that down through history, preachers and prophets and theologians and pastors and teachers have all, have all uh, similarly emphasized that, that we are in a, a battle for the soul. The enemies of the soul are the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world around us. The flesh that is us. And the devil, which is neither of those. Did you catch that? The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world's around us. The flesh is us. 
But the devil is neither of those things. Don't make that mistake. Don't turn him into just a, an impersonal force in the world. Don't, don't turn him into the, the cravings of your flesh. Jesus, Jesus specifically thought that he had a, evil had a face and a name, and it was the devil, and it was not to be treated lightly. I, uh, now, let me say this. I, I'm with C.S. Lewis on this, and C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, which is a, a fascinating, uh, quick read, about, really, evil, Satan. He says, we make two mistakes about the devil. One is in disbelieving him, and two is an unhealthy fixation on him. I fall right about there. But Jesus? Jesus thought he was real, and he had a name, and we should be aware. In fact, Here's what it says in John chapter 8. For you are of your you are the children of your father the devil. Here, here's what Jesus is helping us to do and what I want to invite you to do in this conversation about the world, the flesh and the devil, even if it even if it begins to make you a little bit uncomfortable to to wrestle with this idea because there comes a moment in time where it may be important to name name your enemy to know who it is you're fighting against here's what Jesus said for you are of your you are the children of your father the devil and you love to do the evil things he does now here's what it says about the devil just just listen to what Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So, when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. The devil is a liar. That's his role. He, 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 he whispers. His demonic followers whisper. They, they whisper the lie, the world, the flesh. But don't leave out the the devil. Recognize that you're not just in a battle with, with yourself. You're not just in a battle with the, uh, the, 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 the crazy world around us. That, that, that we're in a battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. The devil is a liar. You see, sometimes the devil tells lies that are, that are, that are big and they're global in implications. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day. And we celebrate his, his birth and the work that he did. And, but we remember the, the, the Jim Crow era and that era that flowed out of the Civil War and through Reconstruction. And in the Jim Crow era, there was, a, there was an insidious lie Separate, but equal. 
It had been inscribed in law across the country, separate but equal, separate buses, separate water fountains, separate schools, separate seating sections. We look back now and the lie just seems, how did anyone believe the lie? You see how insidious a lie can be? It can it can sneak in and it can take us over. But it wasn't the only place this lie separate but equal had taken root. I just finished reading uh, a, a fantastic book, uh, the biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And if you haven't read it, set aside two or three years because it's long. It's about how long it took me. And, and it tells the story of the pastor, prophet, martyr, spy. This German, brilliant pastor, theologian, who saw the rise of Hitler, who we could probably universally agree was one of the most demonic characters of the 20th century. He saw the rise, and early on, he began to stand against him, and Ultimately, days before the Allied forces would liberate him, would liberate the prison camp where he was at, he was hung for being part of a plot to assassinate Hitler. So I was reading the book, and the thing that struck me wasn't the wickedness of Hitler. I, I think I've heard that story so many times, I just take it for granted. No, it was the story of how it rose up. It was the story of when Hitler first rose to power years before World War II would start. And they published something called the Aryan Paragraph. Some of you history buffs will remember this. It was just a new clause in the law of the land that said separate but equal. From now on, only people of Aryan descent can hold civil jobs, government jobs. Well, this created a problem because in Germany, the church was part of the state and the pastors were part of the government. Suddenly, this meant that all of those Jews, and there were more than a few who had converted to Christianity and were now often pastoring churches, could no longer pastor those churches. For some, like Dietrich, this gave rise to the confessing church. The church said, no, no and would wrestle and fight against the Third Reich for years to come. But for some, it was a lie that sort of became acceptable in the church with the pastors. Well, maybe it's okay. They'll have their place. We'll have our place. And the lie took root. And the consequences, history knows them, and we can't escape them. You see, sometimes lies are big, and they grip a nation, 
And sometimes they're small and they're whispered and they grip your soul. They say, you would be better off. You aren't worthy. Do you see how important it can be to name the enemy and to call him what he is? To just be reminded that we are not just in a battle against the world around us and the flesh that is us. We are in a battle that is often quite spiritual and the devil is a liar. I'm just saying the first step is to name the enemy, but there's a second step. And I want to finish with this. Tell him the truth. You name the enemy and you tell him the truth. That's exactly what Jesus did. He named the enemy and then he told him the truth. There's this, there's this biblical principle of name the enemy and tell him the truth. And in fact, the rest of our series is built on this simple idea of identifying the lie that has wrapped itself around your soul and then speaking and finding and discovering and living out the truth on the other side of that lie. We're going to talk about hopelessness. We're going to talk about bitterness. We're going to talk about failure. But first, I just want to take a minute to read to you what Jesus did. Because this is what he did. He, he named the enemy. <laughs> and then he just told him the truth. Let me show you what I mean in the most famous passage around this in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is at the beginning of his earthly ministry. And you'll remember this. He goes into the wilderness and for 40 days he, he fasts and it says this in verse 1. Let me just read you the story. You'll, you'll get where I'm going with this. And maybe it'll, it'll put it all together for you. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. And for 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and he became very hungry. There's the understatement of history, right? 40 days, 40 nights. Some of you are on a 40-day like carb kick right now. Can you imagine? 40 days, nothing. He became hungry. And during that time, the devil came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Watch what Jesus does. But Jesus told him, No. The Scriptures say, <laughs> The Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Listen, Jesus, it tells us in John chapter 1, Jesus is the Word. He is the Word incarnate. He is the very Word itself. And yet still, Jesus is quoting Scripture back to the liar. He's telling the liar. He's naming the liar. And he's telling him the truth. But don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him, verse 5, to the holy city Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you're the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you. And they will hold you up with their hands so they won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, 
<laughs> Here it is again. He responds with Scripture. The Scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. He says, I'll give it to you all. I'll give it all to you if you'll kneel down and worship me right now. And Jesus says, get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. I was going to leave off verse 11, but I decided to add it in. Then the devil went away, and the angels came back and took care of Jesus. I just like that last part. He gave up. We name him, and then we tell him the truth. That's what Jesus did. Here's the thing. You'll have to say it. You have to say it. There's something about the lie that gets round, wound around your heart. It's hard to undo. Some of you have been living out a lie for a generation. It winds itself around your heart. And you're going to have to continually do what, what Jesus did. You're, you're, you're going to have to name the enemy and then you're going to have to speak the truth. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to say it out loud. You're going to have to take Scripture and, and combat the lie with Scripture. At least that's what Jesus did. And, I, and I'll tell you, I, I, through, through my, my own uh, Christian walk, this is... This has been a place to come back to time and time again. So, uh, so you know, most of you, that I was, uh, I was down with COVID. And it, it, it hit me pretty good, not like hospitalization. And, but I was, I had about, I had a good week where I was just, I'm not a good, I'm not a good sick person anyway, am I, hon? No, I'm not. So you carry it out and call it COVID. I had I had sympathy lined up at the door, sort of. I've got like a five-day sympathy window, but on the sixth day, it's like, you need Jesus' help right now. And uh, I'll be honest, the thing that surprised me about it was a bit emotional. I've talked to some of you, and you've been through the same thing, and there's, there's an emotional side of it. And here's what I found. I found, I found there was a period where, especially at night, I, I just was dwelling on negative Negative thoughts. Now, those of you who know me know I'm about the most hopeful person. I'm optimistic. I can find something good in just about anything. And so it wasn't like me. And I just found myself. I just, I just found myself just dwelling on, on negative and depressing. And one night I'm laying there in bed and I'm like, this isn't like my, my mind is racing and none of it's good. It's none of it's good. And, and I had a choice. I could double up on the NyQuil. I thought about it. I grew up in a, some of you grew up like I did. NyQuil was Baptist booze, right? You know, you just, <laughs> second dose, that's like, okay, you know, never had a drop of liquor, but I can drink NyQuil by the bottle, right? You know, and just, that's how I was feeling. I'm like, yeah, I take a second dose and just knock myself out because that's what it'll do, right? Little, little alcohol, little, little shot of dopamine and make you feel good, right? Some of you just skip the NyQuil, go right to the other bottle, right? But you're, we're doing the same thing. We're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix this with a shot of dopamine. That'll make me feel good. But, but here's what I'm saying. I, I'm saying that then in that moment, I knew, listen, that doesn't change your mind. It just knocks you out. 
And I'm laying there and I thought, I just need, I just need to change my mind, Lord. I, this is, I don't like this place. And I just brought up Scripture. I just brought up like a verse of Scripture. I'm like, Lord, what, would I, what verse? I came to the verse, Tammy and I both, it's one of our favorite verses in 2 Timothy 1.7. It says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, of power, and love, the sound mind. Man, I love that. God's not given us the spirit of fear, of power, of love, the sound mind. I was just, I was quoting that verse. Just, it, it, it's true. It's, and, and, and I'm quoting it. And then I, I thought, well, what other verses do I know? I'm a pastor. I should know more than one verse. You're wondering how many I found. I'm not telling you. I found a few. I just started, I just started quoting Scripture, and then it's powerful. I was telling some of, our, uh, some of our leadership here at the church the other day about this, and I decided, I thought to myself, I said, how much Scripture do I know? Man, it's easy to forget it. I'm convinced every verse of Scripture I have memorized, I memorized by the time I was 15. I think, I think everything just goes back to when I was a kid. So here's what, you know what I did? I went back to Genesis chapter 1. I said, I wonder if I can remember a verse from every story in the Bible. The Bible's a big book. I, I, I don't know, I was like two, three weeks ago. I think I'm just, I just... I'm, I'm like in the early life of Jesus right now. I just started going through the stories of the Bible and just remembering the stories of the Bible and the truth of them. And what was the truth of them? I'm just like, because listen, here's what you're doing. You're taking and you're taking the truth of Scripture and you're combating the lie that's in your soul. I don't care if the lie came from the world. I don't care if it came from the flesh. And it may have come from the devil. Here's what I'm saying. Name the enemy. Name the lie. And then take the Scriptures and the truth of Scripture, and speak that. Speak that truth into your soul, into the lie, and combat it. Because it's powerful, and it's the truth of Scripture. And it's what it's meant to do. It's meant to transform the heart and the mind. Because here's what I want you to know. Jesus is fighting for your life. He's fighting for your life. You remember John 10.10. 10. We've quoted it more than any verse ever at this church. And what Jesus said? He said, the thief, that's the devil. He came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But me, he says, I came to give you life. And life to the full. You want to memorize a verse? John 10.10 10 is a good place to begin. I came to give you life and life to the full. He is fighting for your life. And when that lie has you twisted up, name the enemy. And then tell him the truth. Tell him the truth. I don't know what the lie is that's got you wrapped up. I'd be better off. I'd be better off. I'd be better off without him. I'd be better off without her. I'd be better off if I had that. I'd be better off if I didn't have this authority. I'd be better off if I owned that, if I was this. Not worthy. Not worthy. I did this. I did this. I did that. I don't deserve. 
not worthy. It's a lie. You're his child. He's fighting for your life. And he wants, Jesus says, to give you life. Life to the full. And if you've been wondering where Jesus fits into your life, if you've been wrestling on the fringes, not ready to give your life to Jesus Christ, my goodness, there is no one in all of this universe who wants to give you life more than he does, not even yourself. Say yes to him. Embrace him. Give your life to him. Would you bow with me? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. The world, the flesh, and the devil. What's the lie that's wound itself around your soul and you're living it out? Maybe you'll pull out a piece of paper or get in the car on the way home and just write it down. Write down the lie. Put it where you can see it. And then go find some truth in Scripture and write that down next to it. It's powerful. We're going to talk about bitterness, failure, and the hope in a God who makes all things new. But that's yet to come. Right here, right now. Maybe you need to say yes to Jesus. I mean, once and for all, invite him into your life. Trust him as your savior. Romans 10.10 10 says, When we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, it is made unto salvation. Some of you can look back and the most significant spiritual moment of your life is when you took that step. But some of you, you're here and you've just been, you've been right on the edge. If you're watching online and you're just... But you, you sense God is calling to me. Well, this is your chance. Say yes to his gift of forgiveness. Let me lead you in a prayer that does just that. You might pray. Dear God, you know every secret, every story, every failure, every sin. I confess it all. I give it to you. Jesus Christ, I accept your gift of forgiveness, your mercy and grace. I say yes to it once and for all. I trust you as my Savior. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're watching 
online or you're sitting here in person and you took that step saying yes to Jesus. You've begun a journey, what we call a life of discovery, of discovering how much he loves you and how it is that he wants to give you life and life to the full. It's beautiful. No one can make that decision for you. No church, no pastor, no parent. It's just you and God. And if you took that step, I promise you this, he heard you. And it is the beginning of an incredible, incredible journey. Thanks for tuning in to this message from our current series. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to meet you in person. We have services every Sunday at 10 a.m. in East Falmouth, Massachusetts. Or join us for our Sunday live stream on YouTube at the same time. If you enjoyed the Cape Cod Church podcast, we hope you'll consider leaving us a review so that other people can discover us too. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you on the next episode.